I really, I'm gonna, I had the thought when we were bowing and I saw more people logging on for the time of the Dharma talk and knowing we were gonna record, I'm like, <laughs> this better be good. <laughs> and also, I do wanna say, no pressure, just mm-hmm. encouragement. That all really, the most important teaching already happened. It happened at 7, 7.30, It's still happening now. But what I'm pointing to is this is Zen practice. <coughs> Central to Zen practice is Zazen. That the, the teaching, the teachings, enlightenment, awakening don't exist outside of your own your own what? Your own mind, your own life, your own body, your own experience. They don't exist outside of zazen. So (laughs) come sit if you can, okay? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I got a thumbs up. I got a couple nods. All right, so let's see. So, ah, yeah, just a little context for my body just so you know where I'm coming from I haven't been in physical practice in in a couple weeks I've been on zoom because I've had COVID and I tested negatively and I feel pretty confident you know about being back in physical practice Um, but just a word on that if I could say that it does seem to be you know there's that that kind of hackneyed phrase by now, we were, made, we were made for these times, we've been preparing for these times. Still, I'm gonna say that there is something about our practice that is really helpful in these times of meeting, um, meeting messiness, meeting complexity, meeting not knowing with intimacy, with sangha, with, within relationship, so my, my uh, approach to the whole COVID thing, where we are right now, I feel, is just like within racial justice work, you know, to come back to the actual relationship that we have with each other. There are no universal kind of tropes here, I guess. Trope is the word that's coming to mind. It's more like you take care of yourself, you know? Um, And if it's a question like Wendy uh, for the Friday Zen, the Friday Community Zen, that was really helpful. We don't have a Zoom option for the Friday Community Zen. So I had a little consult with Wendy (laughs) on Friday and then the week before too just to talk with Wendy about where I was in terms of symptoms, how I was feeling, what the latest guidance is, you know, with the CDC. Although it's, it was really um, informative and interesting and helpful in a weird kind of way to hear Rachel Walensky say at, at one point, she had a, a personal feeling that was different from what the CDC was saying, you know, so there's, there's no one really knows hundred percent. All we can do is try to follow scientific guidance as best as that's available and then come back 
to, to the relationships, the people who are gonna be most impacted in the moment, you know? So, um, so, you know, some of you might wanna wear masks. Some of you, you might wanna have a little bit more distance. Um, we, and I went to our guidance on our website as to what to do. <laughs> what did we say again, a couple months ago? And what we said is if you have symptoms, please don't come. And if you develop symptoms after coming, just please let us know. It's very messy, but it's also an opportunity to just, you know, engage with each other in a conversation of mutual not knowing and doing our best within that. Um. Okay, maybe, you know, if anybody has questions or, you know, wants to explore that a little bit more, we can at tea time or, you know, later on. Um, so we've begun the study of Bendowa, this practice period, the wholehearted way on Thursday nights. This is what the study is through a particular text we're using. And we're also, that text arose out of what you started doing at seven o'clock. That text is nothing other than kind of an ex extrapolation or a further exploration or bringing into the world of words, language, zaza. So even though we're studying it on Thursday nights, we're always studying it. You know, something spirited happening with a candle this morning. Mm -hmm. Have you been hearing it all morning? It's like the spirits are speaking. Um, so this bendowa, ben in particular, um, which is the wholehearted part of wholehearted study of the way in Bendowa. Ben meaning put total energy into doing one thing. And in terms of wholehearted way, it's putting all of our energy into practicing the Buddha way. not holding back, diving in. Um, and so the question that arose for me this morning thinking about this is what gives rise to this Ben? What gives rise to this wholeheartedness? And then after giving rise to this wholeheartedness, what continues to nourish it? So what I want to offer this morning is, when I reflect on this, I think what gives rise to this Ben is bodhicitta, your mind of awakening. And then what nourishes this bodhicitta, this mind of awakening, this aspiration for awakening, which by the way is, is understood in this tradition anyway, present in all of us. You know, it's not just Zen people, 
have bodhicitta. We just call it that. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm feeling this morning that this bodhicitta is nourished by the triple treasure, Buddha Dharma Sangha. And what I wanted to speak about specifically this morning is the treasure of Sangha. And the treasure of Sangha, past and present, future as well, but particularly past and present, within the context of this month, this month of January, we are offering memorial service after memorial service. There have been, you know, for whatever reason, a lot of deaths in the month of January over the years of teachers and Sangha members. So we just offered a memorial service for JJ, a Sangha member who died suddenly two years ago on Friday, we, we did that. And then on Wednesday, the 12-year the memorial for one of my teachers, Darlene. Um, we have Lou Hartman coming up next Friday on Zoom, who was the, the husband of Blanche, my other teacher, Blanche Hartman, for 63 years. Um, so that's coming up next Friday. And then we, Steve Stuckey, one of my dear mentors, uh, died on New Year's Eve. And then Mel Weitzman, also a very close teacher and mentor for me, the abbot of San Francisco, of um, Berkeley Zen Center and San Francisco Zen Center. He, uh, he died January 12th, what did, yeah, no, earlier than that. It was last Saturday. Um, I think it was two years, one or two years ago. So anyway, this is really up for me. And for those of you <clears throat> who were there on Wednesday on Zoom, <laughs> I had kind of a profound experience <laughs> right in the middle of, um, of reflecting, sharing some, a few words about my relationship with Darlene, my teacher who I met in 1998 when I first came to practice. Um, and what I ended up sharing before we began chanting and before the dedication was what was in my heart. And it felt a little risky because I had a feeling it was gonna be emotional. So I had a feeling you guys were yet again going to see the Mediterranean side of me. <laughs> you know, and for those of you who know me, I mean, I kind of like to cry. Mm -hmm. It feels, or I don't mind it. I'm not embarrassed by it. I understand that for others, here we are in New England, <laughs> it can be really challenging. And I honor that and I respect that. And gonna happen and um, even my grandmother um, who was from Salisbury New Hampshire and her lineage went way back English you know was here for a long time she said to me after losing two husbands and 
two children, two of her four children before she died at the age of 90. And she used to tell me, you know, she would watch her, her high school class dwindle at each reunion until finally there were only like five people attending and her, and they were all the spouses of her classmates. She was the last surviving of her class. But still within all this loss, she said to me at one point, no, but Joni, I never cried. <laughs> like that was a good thing. <laughs> and yet at the same time, I quote her, I think of her all the time, saying in a different context, better out than in. <laughs> she used to say that all the time. And I feel that about crying. Better out than in. And if so, you know, if you're in the Zendo or if you're on Zoom and you start to cry, it's, it's not a bad thing. You know, it could be you being cracked open finally. So at any rate, I, I started to cry when I was, it, from my heart, what I was sharing was the love that I feel for Darlene is not like, oh, she was so wonderful and I really miss her. And there's that. And then there's also what I shared was I never, I, I don't know if while she was alive, we actually ever met fully. And I want you to know that. Because I want you <laughs> and me to meet fully. The invitation is there. And also, what I felt was that opening of, oh, this transcends birth and death. It's not too late to meet Darlene fully and to be met by Darlene fully, even though she's no longer walking around on this planet. So I, I felt really held by that. And then <laughs> I heard in the echo, which I've been hearing for decades now, we say um, the dedication, you know, after honoring this teacher, honoring the lineage, we say, bring forth the spring of the Udumbara flower. Illuminate the past and present. Bing! <laughs> and may the teachings of this school, we say the teachings of awakening or the teachings of the Buddha, continue endlessly. Do you follow me? Yeah, the endless teachings beyond birth and death. And that it's never too late. What a deep teaching of compassion to feel that, to experience that. And it happened within the context of offering a ceremony together. So I'm so grateful for that. Thank you. This is this deep dharma of upholding forms and ceremonies that we kind of name 
when we have a Jukai ceremony, when someone <coughs> receives the Bodhisattva precepts and begins to wear the Rakasu, this is, I'm gonna participate in, in sustaining these practices. You know, for some of you, maybe it just happens sitting there, but it doesn't happen with me. And you know what? It's not just because I was in the dance world. It's not just because of the, the production values, you know, of having a, a um, transformative experience, you know, through bells and chanting and costumes and, you know, props. <laughs> It's also, there is a culture to Zen. I realized this morning driving over here, and some of you might relate with this, maybe more than the dance thing, is um, traveling to different cultures, different languages, opens up different worlds. Your mind shifts speaking a different language, if any of you speak a different language, other than your native language. Um, and so this is the reason that, for instance, um, I think we should put on the website that I sent an email yesterday to the Doan Rio, the people who practice, the, who lead the forms and ceremonies that had the Zen glossary. <laughs> Did you get that? Did you see that? Because in my email, I was saying, Fukudo, Doan Rio, um, Doan, Kokyo, Chiden, Jisha. All of a sudden I was like, do they even know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I'm asserting this. This is part of our style here until you guys overthrow me and say no. <laughs> but for me, this is about opening another world. It's like traveling. Opening another aspect of yourself through encountering something that's kind of magical, that's different, as we say in New England. So... Um, so this is what we do with Sangha. We travel together. We're traveling together in this, in this culture. And you know what, I'm aware of appropriation that I'm not, these are Japanese words and I'm not born Japanese. And so for me, how to meet that, that discomfort and awkwardness around appropriation is with what mind, with what intention can I hold these other terms and cultural aspects you know can i hold these terms with the humility of a global citizen <laughs> wanting so much to meet to encounter the so-called other and experience myself there so um So this illuminating past and present, illuminating here and everywhere <laughs> through particularity and universality. I wanted to, let me just spend a minute more on talking about the particular, precisely the culture, especially at this beginning of a new year, the beginning of a practice period, the Doan Rio. The Doan Rio, the, those who uphold these forms and ceremonies so that we can illuminate the past and present. We can illuminate the ancestors who came before us. 
And just like we just chanted in the Ehekoso Motsuganmon, see them as we, and we as they. Uh, so, because what this culture is within the context of religious practice, those are provocative words. If that's too much for you, okay, spiritual practice. <laughs> it's okay. In <laughs> uh, Dogen's lineage, in Dogen's way, and we're going to be talking a lot about Dogen this practice period, Dogen Zenji, the founder of, who we consider to be the, the founder of Soto Zen, this particular school of Buddhism that originated in, in Japan, but with help from China, which of course was helped by India, which was helped by the Vedic people, which was helped by, who knows, the extraterrestrials. <laughs> I don't know where this all began. But anyway, Dogen, 13th century Japan, he wrote a text called the Eihei Shingi, guidelines for practicing within this monastic container, his. And we've adopted those here to some degree to the, to the extent that it makes sense within our, our practice place and our, where we are in our growth as a sangha. So I shared in this email yesterday and I feel it with each one of you that the way we are growing The way we're not a business is it's not a numbers game. It's not about the numbers. Dogen, this magnificent teacher, he didn't have a whole lot of students because he was very strict and maybe he was too radical for his time. But because of his strictness and because of his vision, which some at the time called radical, um, and we still call radical, there's something very specific that's been able to be conveyed through the decades and the centuries and no doubt the millennia. Uh, so this Ehe Shingi. So I'm about to, to, to describe some of these Dharma positions so you can have a sense. And I want to say that when I meet with you in Dokusan, it'll be an opportunity to talk about these particular Dharma positions if you begin to inhabit them. And by the way, just like Obama said <laughs> that the most important job in a democracy, does anybody know what he said? The most important position in democracy? It's not the president. Citizen. Does anybody remember him saying that? Obama gave Dharma talks. <laughs> he didn't give speeches. <laughs> The most important job for a bodhisattva is the assembly, showing up, being present, giving over this wholehearted bend, which is throwing yourself in. Um, <clears throat> so the way Dogen poetically talked about illuminating this past and present, upholding these forms and ceremonies, it was when the, within the context of his talking about the officers of a Zen monastery, which includes not just the, the, um, the admin side, which is important, but also the ringing the bells and the leading the chanting. He said, 
to follow the way of the ancients means to carve out the vast sky and settle your body in it. To pierce through the skull of the world and just sit. You open the fist and you stay with the nostril. You dye the white cloud within the blue sky, stir up autumn waters and wash the bright moon. So I say that for some of you who are like, what is she talking about with all these dharma positions? And, and you know, maybe the artists here, like that imagery, that poetic imagery that's exalting, you know, that's so spacious, just like the Bendowa that we're studying, that when you sit, all the Buddhas rejoice and increase their dharma bliss, renewing their magnificence. <laughs> this works for me. <laughs> I didn't come to Zen practice because I wanted to be a Zen bureaucrat. <laughs> I came as an artist and I had, you know, I, I, I am fed deeply by this vision of being in the world, yes, within our mundane truths, also expansively, you know, liberatively, imaginatively, which are qualities that we so desperately need in these times of climate collapse and these times of, you know, stuckness, polarization. We so desperately need imagination. We need exaltedness through our chest. <laughs> At least I do to keep going. Otherwise I am gonna be squashed by concern for the world. Does this make sense? Does this resonate for you? Okay. So I bring forth this beautiful poetry of Dogen, you know, so helpful. And so, so Dokusan, um, I see my role shifting with the way we're growing as a Sangha. Not, we are growing in numbers. We are growing in terms of cash, which is great. <laughs> and we're also growing in terms of depth. We're growing in terms of the deepening of practice. Each one of you in your own particular way, it tickles my heart. I love the way each one of you is growing not as trying to fit into some mold of what you think a monk is supposed to be. And maybe some of you are still in that place, that's okay. Um, but really the study of the Bendowa is you through your wholeheartedness, how do, you, how do you express the Buddha way? How do you illuminate the past and present? How do you connect with the ancestors? Uh, so with Dokusan, um, I see that happening more. And so with that meeting, meeting with people one-on-one, -on -one. and there's a whole culture around Dokusan. Darlene used to talk about, <laughs> she would get really frustrated when people 
and I hope this doesn't offend anybody, people would come to her wanting to talk about their cat. <laughs> now, I understand if your cat is dying or your cat has died. I mean, I do understand that. I have, you know, shepherded some people through that. And that when my own cat, Wee Chips, died at Tassahara, it was devastating. It rivaled the death of that grandmother I was just talking about. And I'd only met Wee Chips like three months before. So I understand how animals come right in, you know. Um, but for the most part, there is, there's a need for space around Dokusan. It's for respect for the teacher and it's also respect for you. So that when you come for this time to speak with me, <laughs> that it is an encounter that's far beyond societal, far beyond worldly views. And when you come for Dokusan, speaking about these particular Dharma positions, believe me, can be a toehold in the vastness of your life. It can be something specific to talk about <laughs> because you will see yourself, for those of you who've been enacting these roles, cheating what it's like to sift the incensor, that communal just being with the incensor, caring for the altar. It gets a little bit, quite a bit more intense when you're the kokio, when you're leading the chanting and it's your voice in the zendo. That's a profoundly intense experience of seeing the self, hearing the self, it's all there. For the role of Jisha, Emily is occupying that role and I'm very grateful for the role of Jisha because the Jisha will provide that kind of space. The Jisha, it's not just scheduling Dokusan and helping me to not forget because my calendar, there was a blip at the beginning of this year because I use a physical calendar and it didn't quite get transferred over. So to help me to not fall behind, you know, to help me to, to, to um, not miss meeting you. <clears throat> and also in this role of Jisha, which is, it's kind of like the attendant. It is, we, we call it the attendant, but bodily staying close to me. And there's so much to talk about that. You will see Emily standing next to me. She didn't get to do it this morning because unfortunately both the Kokio the, um, and the uh, Doan weren't able to be here. So we're shifting out of that mode of Emily being the person who picks up on that. So please others begin to train. We need to widen the pool a little bit. But for Emily to be able to stand and just simply hold the incense and then present the incense and then when she presents the incense, here's her hand, and I take the incense. I receive the incense from her. It's like receiving the precepts. <laughs> it's like offering and receiving the precepts. Our hands sometimes touch. I've told the story many times when someone had recently died in our sangha and I'd gone to Tassahara for a workshop, to offer a workshop there. And I was still feeling the energy of this recent death. And we offered a memorial service for this person in the Tassahara Zendo. 
when I, I was officiating it, when I went up to the altar and received the incense, I had just met Vajisha for the first time, this young man. And he later told people what it was like for him to feel my hand meet his, because it was like this. <laughs> my hand was, you know, I was feeling so much. And then I remember when my hand landed on his, it was like, I didn't even know him in the usual worldly way, but we met in that moment. And he was so deeply, this young monk, so deeply there for me. Profound. And so Emily in this role of Jisha will be experiencing this. And this is the Dharma position you are offering right now. These are all evolving positions, you know, that you occupy for a period of time. And then it's the warm handoff and the next person comes in. And so this is all about supporting the Sangha. And it's also about encouraging each one of you. I see this is where Emily is in practice. It's not a busy position. It's not like dealing with a lot of stuff. However, as an extension of Jisha, of that intimacy with the teacher, she will be conveying that intimacy with you, to you, through scheduling Dokusan. <laughs> you know, which means she'll be, you may ask, what is it? What is Dokusan? She'll be conveying that. You know, how often do I have Dokusan? What do I bring up in Dokusan? You know, and it's also about noticing in practicing with each one of you. Brent, I really noticed this morning, if I could share with the group. You, um, there, here, you're here. You're right, Emily? Yep. Doing what needs to be done, supporting Emily to set up the Zendo, to when Emily is bringing the, the bell over and getting for service I'm watching I'm like okay who's passing out the chant books who's I noticed you came over and adjusted the laptop before service I thought you were about to move it over for the Dharma talk mm -hmm. and I, I I held back I was mm -hmm. like hold back like see what he's gonna do and, and I was like, no, it's time for service. It's not time for the Dharma talk yet. But you, you were just, I was like, all right, <laughs> okay. Because, you know, this is all deep stuff. This is intimacy. This is Brent. This is the Ben. Brent wholeheartedly being here, noticing. What is the next thing? How can I be of service? How can I support this container? The depth of this is Brent knowing that he has something to offer. That he has something to contribute that he is contributing, you are contributing to the depth that I'm talking about, even while you're, you yourself are sinking into it. And so by the time you came over to bring the laptop around, I felt fully held. <laughs> my mind and my heart were freed up to just give the Dharma talk <laughs> and not be so you know, so, so you in that role allows all of us to set up. This is how we grow. 
deeper into this settling individually and communally. So now it becomes, hmm, what might bread be important? <laughs> but this is a conversation we have. I'm not gonna, this is the way I'm approaching this as a Dharma teacher. I talk a lot about the horizontal. Yes, there is vertical. Yes, I am the teacher. <laughs> and that's only the vertical. The, the vertical is very important for, for a particular kind of safety. It's like, who's in charge? And like, you know, this is, I understand part of safety, what wearing a brown robe means, what holding a kotsu means. This is the kotsu, the teaching staff, holding the kotsu, what this means. This means lineage, this means accountability, this means I'm not just making this up. But the horizontal, is it means that I don't just say to Brent, this is how I understand it. You be the dawn. <laughs> just throw you in. No, it's more like, all right, let's have that conversation. It's like the COVID conversation. You know, let's talk about this. You know, what can we, I'm sensing this. How does this feel? And then it's just a matter of not whether, but when. Just like receiving the precepts. For each one of you, I will say for each one of you, it's not whether, I mean, that's up to you. The when is this. Does it make sense in your life? Not as a thought. <laughs> like Blanche used to talk about when she first got to San Francisco Zen Center and she saw all those important people, all, all of the important looking people walking around in their fancy robes, she caught herself with the thought going, I want that. <laughs> I think that's legit to some degree. <laughs> that's legit as a starting point. You know, something captures your imagination. That's beautiful. But that's not yet the grounds for receiving the precepts. That's, that's the beginning of the conversation you're having with yourself. And then maybe eventually, hopefully eventually having with the teacher. <clears throat> and for that to be a joyous conversation on its own time, according to your life. So, <laughs> I don't know, where are we? 907, okay, let me, let me just stop it right there, yeah. I'm looking around. How are you guys doing? How is this feeling? So that's all about illuminating the past and present. It's all about, yeah, this is culture, religion and culture and anthropology, spirituality, humanity, showing, you know, coming together to do stuff. We do stuff together. <laughs> we don't just come to, to, to sit meditation in silos, get something and then go away. You know, we sit together, something happens together, and then we, we return to our individual lives or not even return, we just continue into our lives. We continue, we take this practice with us right out the door. You know, and so the training here, when I think about Zen training, I'm thinking about this thing about, um, 
seeds of bodhicitta and how they get watered. And what is it? Seeds of a bodhisattva. Because bodhicitta can be in different traditions, different meditation traditions. But the bodhisattva tradition, what the seeds of a bodhisattva, an awakening being. You know, and I'm getting into this conversation right now with the conversation we're having on Thursday nights, the difference between meditation and shikantaza, the difference between meditation as a technique and the practice of zazen, non-dual, sitting. What does that mean? That's the practice of a bodhisattva. One of the things I want to share with you, I don't know if this will make sense, but it occurred to me this morning, I wrote it down. It's coming up in this context. I feel like my Dharma talks a lot are like films as opposed to movies. Like you have to connect the dots. <laughs> I'm not going to do it for you. Do you know what I mean by the difference between films and movies? Like film, yeah. <laughs> you have to engage. I'm not going to feed you in that way. There's a difference between nourishment <laughs> and feeding. <laughs> anyway, what I thought is um, the words that I just shared with you from the Ehe Shingi, to follow the way of the ancients means to carve out the best guy, all that. I have all these quotes memorized from the teachings, but I realized this morning that all those quotes come from my time practicing at City Center, San Francisco Zen Center. What I remember from my monastic training at Tassajara is not quotes, it's moments of shared experience within Sangha, with teachers for bodily experience. And the abbot's cabin, you know, smelling the tatami and sitting across from the abbot and smelling the wood stove in the corner. Bodily experiences of awakening together, way beyond words. does feel like this, this bodily memory, these experiences, it does feel like this hammer striking emptiness we talk about, this illuminating the past and present, this hammer striking emptiness, its exquisite peel permeates everywhere. These memorials, these warm hand to warm hand relationships with other human beings in lineage, I'm so grateful to be able to try to convey some of this and to experience some of this with you. And we do it as an ongoing collaboration together. Okay. Questions, comments, thoughts? Here's where I spin you around. Uh, hello, Sangha. <laughs> All right, everybody, say hello. Let's start with uh, Emily. And if you want to say anything else, go ahead. Oh. <laughs> More. Now, Okay, that's great. Thank you, Emily. Mama and Pastor Patricia, Emily. 
morning, Dr. Ren. I noticed when I was walking around that your head might be cut off in your mouth. Thank you, Brent. Hold on just a second. Let me just check. Can you guys hear Brent? Yes, you can. Okay, great. That sounds better today. Yeah, Brent. You, okay, good. Yeah, anything else? Good morning. I'm Kate. Uh, I'm glad to be here this morning. Thank you. Yeah. Good to be with you, Kate. <clears throat> Hi. Um, okay. Hi, Nora. Good morning, Mark. <laughs> um, thought that's coming across my mind is when you describe the being all in or going all in. Yeah. Okay. I, I always feel like it's that way all the time, other than the thoughts in my mind and the structures. I say in my mind, but in society or whatever, that prevent you from being that way, mm -hmm. from one being that way. Mm -hmm. And then at certain times, sitting in one, where you get to be all in without the, those hindrances go away. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes you just feel that way, like, Sometimes in my life, I cooked in a restaurant, and it's just so fast. You're, mm. you're there. It's yep. you're those things that you would think twice about aren't there, and that's that kind of. I would just feel it's always there, but there's something, there's structures on top of it, preventing it from you know, just always kind of flowing that way. Yeah, Mark, I love that. Thank you. So um, there's, you know, this. What you just said, what I was remembering is one Sangha member who was training as Kokyo, leading the chanting, said something like, for him, Kokyo was about the opportunity. It gave him the opportunity to just be fully human. And I think about that, like, to just fully be loving, to just love. Mm -hmm. And restaurants, I've worked in restaurants. People who work in restaurants, it's a, it's a, it's its own culture. I have so much respect for people who work in restaurants, the front of the house, the back of the house. There's a reason they call themselves family. <laughs> there is something about, and we feel this in a Zen kitchen too, serva feels like trying, you know? And then at the end of the shift, at the end of the evening, after dinner, like I remember walking into Yoshi's restaurant, she would open at four, or we'd get there, you know, I don't know what time we get there in the afternoon for the dinner shift. And you would say, Oh, hi, Osaimas. We would say, Good morning at like four o'clock in the afternoon. It was like, we're, Okay, we're going to start the day together. We're going to bring forth this offering, you know? And there's an intensity to that. And that's why one of the traditions, I don't know if you experienced this, at the end of the shift, people would hang out and drink wine. <laughs> yes, right? You had to decompress before going home such an intense experience of that, yeah, just total dive in. So, which brings, makes me think about next week is sashimi. Next week is sashimi and we're offering orioki. We're offering eating in the zendo. And so, let me, I'm gonna say a little bit more, sorry you guys, this is a little bit awkward. We're gonna be offering orioki in the zendo and so we have to have someone 
a Tenzo to cook the food. We're still figuring that out. Who will make this very simple offering of breakfast and lunch? And, um, <clears throat> and then we'll eat in the Zendo and we have the bowls. Putting the bowls together, you'll, well, you know, you'll use these bowls and then clean them and then put them away, all at your seat. So in order to practice this, we're meeting the night before here. We're meeting next Saturday night, seven to nine. Come, do it. It's gonna be fun. <laughs> um, so seven to nine, we'll have an overview and Oriyoki instruction, and then um, and then we'll sit, sit a couple periods, read the session guidelines, we'll chant the refuges, and then people want to sleep in the zendo. You can. Then we'll have to have a wake up all the next morning, and then off we go with the the usual schedule that we've been doing for the full day with the exception of meals right here in the center. <laughs> so it's a little crazy, but we're ready for it. And so all what I wanted to say about that was at the end of Sashin, it's a different kind of intensity. The decompressing is different. So it is very important. I've never, or haven't in a while, really explicitly said this. It's very important to take care of yourselves at the end of Sashin. And for each person, it's different. Some people at San Francisco and Zen Center love to go out dancing. <laughs> Some people did that. Others just wanted to go home and take a bath and be quiet. I usually find myself going to the ocean and just walking along the ocean. But with that kind of, yes, that kind of wholeheartedness, that kind of intensity of just diving in, it's interesting how we sustain that. How do we sustain that kind of wholeheartedness in our life? For me, that's been the koan of integrating all that monastic practice once I re-entered the marketplace, which is what this is. For the rest of my life, integrating what that intense monastic training was without clinging to it but allowing it to move through me and be an offering. Anyway, thank you, Mark. All right, returning to, there's one last person. I'm Julia in the distance. Uh, <laughs> good morning. <laughs> good morning. Okay, thank you, everybody. And people on Zoom, would you like to say hello? Uh, let's see, I'm gonna invite you. Christine, hi. Good morning, hello. Christine from Coastal Maine, pleased to join all of you this morning and other mornings. I'm just feeling the lovely thoughts of how we change in all of these different engagements, whether it's Sashin or working as a restaurant family. All of those things are very intimate in their own ways, and um, I'm hearing that and feeling that with you this morning. Thank you, Christine. And I would say, let's go ahead and you can invite the next person. We'll just pass it off like that. And that way I can. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, inviting Wendy. Good morning, everyone. I, um, I'm glad to be here. I often don't make Sundays, and I was able to today, so that's wonderful. And for the record, I waved my hands with big thumbs up that there was better audio. Um, but it, I realized I, I had been using earbuds. 
So um, if you're thinking about anything I, I wave my hands about, I don't know. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and I will hand this off to Ruth. morning. I'm Ruth and I'm in Vermont. I'm very happy to be here and even all these miles away from the Zendo, feeling the energy and um, loving Joan's enthusiasm. <laughs> and um, I have this weird box up there so I can't always see who else is there. Mia or Maya. Thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, my name is Mia, and I'm just down the street from Mahasati Center, but um, enjoying that we have the option to be on Zoom. Um, I particularly enjoyed the talk this morning. A lot to think about. Um, each one of the talks takes you just a little bit further into understanding, and uh, I appreciate that very much. Um, so good morning to you, and I will pass it off to Angela. Thank you so much. Um, so I'm Angela, and I'm in Newton, Massachusetts. And I'm just very grateful for the intimacy of this group. And the talk from this morning has given me a lot to contemplate. So thank you very much for that. And I will pass to Jane. Hey, everyone. Um, Good to be here. I wish I was there in person. I'm I'm not turning on my video. I am recovering from food poisoning. So, um, but just wanted to be here. And so great to hear you all and to hear that there's a sashin next week. Thank you. Thank you, Jane. And I'll pass it to Herb. Herb the Mysterious. Herb may not be there, or Herb, if you are there, you can unmute. There you go. Oh, Herb, you've unmuted, but we don't hear you. You're getting increasingly mysterious. <laughs> oh, Herb, we can't hear you. I don't know if you're trying to speak, but I just want to say thank you for being here. And maybe we can, we can, if you want to email later, we can try to figure out what the technical issue was. Okay, thank you. All right, everybody. Thank you so much in our hybrid world for bringing forth the Dharma together to override, you know, the separation and just be together. So now we'll offer the Pali refuges and begin with three full bows to do that. <clears throat> We hope you enjoyed this episode. This podcast is made possible by donations from listeners like you. For more information or to donate, please go to www.zencenternorthshore.org. Thank you.